Welcome everyone to the Psychic Wives Podcast with Ginger Hendry, Jerry Carabin, and Kathy Rumsey. Here we discuss all things energetic, spiritual, intuitive, and yes, psychic. You'll learn about things like Reiki, animal communication, mediumship, or maybe just how to manage your energy on a daily basis. We'd like this to be a place where you can come to open your mind and allow yourself to create a better version of you. It's all about everyday living with a twist. Everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Psychic Wives. I'm Ginger Hendry. And I'm Jerry Carabin. And I'm Kathy Rumsey. <laughs> we never know what order we're going in. <laughs> I know. We forgot, we, we forgot to discuss. Um, we are really excited. We have a part two. Um, for those who have listened to the previous podcast, we had Debbie Draves Lay with us, and we were discussing the book that she has published called Ponies, Girls, Parables. Um, And if you did listen to that, then you would know that Debbie had um, a, uh, what do I call it, Debbie, a a resort, a practice in in Costa Rica, um, a business? A a retreat center. A retreat center. Yeah. Jeez, I I need more coffee. Um, And uh, worked with horses. Debbie is a transformational coach, um, was a nurse for over 30 years, uh, is a published author. Um, and does equine facilitated uh, coaching. And so we really wanted to talk about her work in Costa Rica, Kathy and I, as you probably have heard us mention, we did on the last podcast, but multiple podcasts, we've talked about um, how just transformational that was for us to attend two different weeks with Debbie. And we really wanted to talk with Debbie about how important that work was and how she got there and what happened and working with horses. We have all kinds of things that we want to talk about. So um, Debbie, let's say hello. Hi, thanks for having <laughs> me back. I appreciate it. And uh, especially for a topic that I can talk about all day long. So <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I think that we probably can as well. So where do you think we should start, Kathy? Should we start where well, here's where we start. Debbie, tell us how you got to Costa Rica and how that whole um, adventure and that piece of your life um, unfolded. Uh, well, it started by getting divorced, let's say. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Great jumping off part. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, I had been married for 19 years. Um, prior to getting divorced and then um, was doing pretty good and on my own and um, had taken many trips to Costa Rica over the years like 10 different trips and I always thought wow this would be a really cool place to live and um, and be felt really at home there and and then when I got divorced I remember I was working in the I worked neonatal ICU and in the middle of the night one night I was sitting and thinking taking care of a baby that you could really couldn't touch that was too sick so I was just sitting there watching the monitors and I thought wow now that I'm divorced I can do anything I want and nobody can tell me no right (laughs) and so there's always that thing if money or time were no object you know what would you do and so I started to think about that and 
and not that money wasn't an object, but you know, time was not a, you know, I, there was a potential for a whole new life to come out of it. And I thought, oh, I could go to, I, if plenty of time in August, I would go to Costa Rica and start a retreat center. And this was in the year 2000. And um, so anyway, this, that's kind of what and I thought that, I think that opened the door, the portal to the possibility of what wanted to happen as we talked about last time, you know, what does want to happen? And, um, and then I met my husband, Steve, a few years later and took him to Costa Rica to see if he could handle it down there because it was pretty rough at that time. And, uh, and he was great to travel with and had lived in Turkey and Greece and other parts of the world. So he was a, um, kind of well-rounded that way culturally and accepting. Um, and so our kids went off to college and at that time in Florida, the real estate market was crazy and we had, we, so we sold everything and we moved to Costa Rica. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had no idea what we were doing (laughs) really. really. That should be a whole book, I guess, onto itself because we were so naive. I felt like teenagers. We sold everything. All we had could fit in our car and that was it. Wow. Um, Can I, I'm just saying, I just look at that and go, I can't imagine. (laughs) How cool. I bought a 25 acre dairy farm in at the base of an active volcano. Yeah. Did you ever have a point where you got there and just said, what the F did we just do? Um, you know, there was a day. Okay. So we built these three little cabins. We built, we bought this farm. We, it was a big disaster. We cleaned it up and everything, built these three little cabins at the base of the volcano, which was erupting at that time about every, at least every hour it was erupting and everything would just shake. The building would shake because of this erupting volcano. Yeah, it was really cool. So we built the cabin so you could see the lava coming down the volcano and um, little wooden cabins like tree houses on the side of the hill. And so we were open, this was like January 1st, 2007. And we didn't have any reservations. They were just sitting there, no reservations. And I was remember sitting there. Wait, let me interrupt for a second. So were you doing a retreat there or at that point was it just like? Like a, a bed and breakfast. Like a bed and breakfast. Okay. Right. Yeah. And um, and we wasn't, but it was, well, we, it was called uh, Leaves and Lizards Are and All Volcano v- Retreat. It was called the retreat because we didn't want people to feel like they were coming to a fancy resort or anything. Um, and so the, so I'm literally like staring at my computer and we only had dial up. It was super, super slow, but I was staring at my computer and the phone and I'm like, okay, we're open. Why isn't the phone ringing? It, <laughs> seriously, why isn't the phone ringing? Oh my God, we were crazy. Why did we do this? What were we thinking? And then the phone rang and I answered it. I'm like, hello, these are lizards. And the person spoke English. Think I, that was like amazing. And because um, we didn't speak any Spanish when we moved there. So, <laughs> so, um, so she said, hello, this is Lainey. What was her name? Um, Lainey something or other. I'm from Brides Magazine. And we'd like to come to your hotel to do a, a, a story on it for our piece on honeymoons we're doing in Costa Rica. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, she speaks English. That was the first thing I could yeah. say. And then the second thing, it was like, really, right when I was thinking we made the worst mistake and that this lady from, reporter from Brides Magazine calls and wants wow. to do a, come and see us. And anyway... Um, they were going to the Four Seasons and Leaves and Lizards. Those are the two places. 
Nothing in between. And by the, at that time, the only way to get to our place was high clearance four wheel drive in for low. And yeah. so they couldn't make it up the hill. And then the bridge was out, her and her boyfriend, and, and they were coming and they couldn't. Um, and so Steve had to go in our old Land Cruiser and old, old one, 1978 one, like, you know, in Africa, out of Africa, yeah. and go through the river, pick them up, because their car was stuck in the river, and then do this whole big thing, and then bring them up through in the four by four, and then, um, anyway, he was their chauffeur in our old, old Jeep. I love that old Land Cruiser, though. Yeah. It was and how did the article turn out? Was it? It was, it was good. It was like, I don't know, nine, eight, nine months later, but it was this little tiny blurb. I never got one reservation out of it. But <laughs> <laughs> it was a sign. It was a yeah. sign. It was a sign. When it first came out, I remember I saw the Bryce magazine because we didn't get any magazines in Costa Rica. And I was at an airport and I'm like, oh my God, the October issue is out at the um, the news shop in, in the airport in Atlanta, wherever we were. And there we were on there. It was really nice. That's so awesome. Fun. So, so how, did the, how did the horses come into it? Well, because the roads were so bad, we needed horses to get in and out most of the time, sometimes, <laughs> to go to the store, you know, and, but now the road's paved up there, but, um, but yeah, and we were boarded, Titan and Hitana were the two horses that um, we boarded for a friend of ours. I didn't know anything about horses, nothing. I just knew I didn't, I just knew I didn't like my sister's horses. That's all I knew. I always wanted a horse when I was a kid, but. So, yeah, that's kind of how it started. So then keep going. What was the transition to, you know, the, the coaching, the work, the working with the horses? I mean, I'm assuming that you had to go through the learning experience with the horses prior to working with everybody else going through right, it. Right, exactly. And uh, so we, we so one of the neighbors had a waterfall. And he showed us his waterfall and said, why don't you bring tourists to my waterfall so we could make money on it, of course, which makes sense. And so the only way to get there was by horseback and it was a beautiful ride, uh, Kathy and Ginger, you've been there, um, to this waterfall. So then we got, started becoming busier and built more cabins and needed more and more horses to do this, um, this guided with our professional naturalist guide to the waterfall. And, um, <clears throat> And then pretty soon these highly trained, really great horses wouldn't leave the barn. They're like, yeah, I ain't having one more scared person from Chicago jumping on my back. Wouldn't <laughs> 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 leave. And so I'm like, what is going on here? Oh my God, these horses have to keep going back into training. Why won't they? Because I, like I said, I didn't know anything about horses at the time. Well, we know, I mean, now I know of course, misbehavior is always a sign of communication. The horses are misbehaving, right? So then um, someone was there and introduced me to some con concepts of natural horsemanship. Um, not like the horses, they weren't being abused or anything. They were just, they were like, to me, they were like a Jeep at that time. And uh, <clears throat> with not a sentient being. And so, so anyway, she introduced me to one a client or a guest, um, natural horsemanship. Pirelli method of natural horsemanship. So I'm like, oh my God, a horse is prey. Oh, of course. I never even occurred to me a horse is a prey animal and a human is a predator. And here we have all these scared people from Chicago, wherever, doesn't matter, yeah. jumping on the horse's back. And this, this horse is probably having a scared predator jumping on his back 300 times a year. 
Mm. No wonder why he doesn't want to go anywhere. And so here's this scared predator jumping on their back. They're afraid they've never been on a horse before. And they're asking them to go over there. They're asking them to go somewhere. And wherever they're asking them to go to the horse, they're even more afraid to go over there because they don't want the horse to move. And so, Mm. because they're afraid to ride. And so, or they're going to fall off or they're going to be riding through a river or whatever they're going to be doing in the horse. Now we have this crazy bad energy. Well, it's not bad, but just keep the human safe. It's safer not to go anywhere. Right because they're afraid so really the horse's misbehavior is saying i'm not going anywhere because you're afraid you're going to fall off so you're not falling off if we're standing here right so so anyway so we started doing the the natural horsemanship evolved into relationship-based horsemanship and i read linda kohana's book um called the dao of equus and well even before that a guest left a book a guest that was probably one of my guides Mm-hmm. Called another one of her books called Riding Between the Worlds. And that even explained further the way horses perceive and interact in the world and how they help humans and help us. And they're here to help us. And so that took the whole um, herd at that time, about 20 horses, it took them into um, a whole new realm of being with horses. And at that time, then before anyone ever got on a horse at our place, they had to do a join up and create a relationship with their horse. And it's not like they wouldn't be afraid, but they could tell the horse, I'm afraid of falling off. And the horse is like, okay, I'll be careful and go slow. And we would know when the horse was ready for the human to get on or basically, no, no. We knew that the human was ready to get on the horse when the horse would join up with the human. And then we never had any problem after that. Some of those horses were doing tours for, you know, 12 years and they were, and uh, they didn't, and because that, we sometimes it would take two hours before people were allowed to even get on the, the tour did not leave until everyone had to join up with their horse mm-hmm. and the horses would we would they would have a choice whether or not they were going and if they would be like yeah i don't think so not today you know or whatever then they we would pick a different horse so and a, you they, were intuitively you were connecting with the horses yourself yes and asking them mm-hmm. More and, and just and it evolved more and more. I didn't really realize all that was happening. You didn't realize you were doing it, but you were doing it. Yeah. And at the same time, I was becoming aware of myself as um, in a more intuitive, like you more intuitive and um, connected way in how I connect and I as a, a part of nature are part of this whole big process that's unfolding. So then when did it turn into like, you know, so at that point it was still kind of, you know, here, here's this resort or Mm -hmm. retreat or whatever. And then, so after that, um, what happened to make it more of a full on, you're coming here to work with the horses to change your life place? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Well, so what happened, I, um, the first thing was I thought, well, I looked at um, the Pona Quest website and they did retreats at their place, uh, Linda Kohana um, in, in um, Sedona, Arizona, not Sedona, I'm sorry, um, Sonoida, Arizona at, at their place there. And I thought, well, this would be a really good place to do retreats too, not just in Arizona. And so I contacted um, their facility and 
Shelley Rosenberg, who's one of the, the founding members of OponaQuest with Linda Kohana, the whole the, the organization, she called me back right away and we started doing um, organized retreats based on the OponaQuest principles of equine facilitated learning and how horses can help us learn about ourselves um, after that. And so we did several retreats and then we're kind of expanded out to other people like Danielle McKinnon. That's how um, Kathy and Ginger found us. And, 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 I, and I had um, this epiphany one day to preach to the choir, right? To talk to, reach out to other people just um, randomly to see if they would like to bring people and have this experience with the horses in the, in the rainforest. And Danielle like, didn't know about horses at the time either. And so um, I would make, usually oh, pretty much always would have the, anyone that wanted to bring a group of people would come first themselves and do a retreat with me. So they knew what they were getting into to, um, to be with their clients in a way that was um, not a surprise because it was surprising some of the things that happened. Yeah. Um, Kathy and Ginger, why don't you guys talk about your experience? <laughs> I have I tissues know. if anybody needs them. I know. I was just thinking <laughs> that. Um, I went um, to the retreat thinking I've never been to Costa Rica. The weather should be great. I love animals. Uh, you know, I'm doing animal communication. Um, I'll be with like-minded people. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the concept of what was to come. Um, Kathy and I had been um, in class together and done homework together and that kind of thing in that animal communication realm. Um, but we hadn't met in person until we met at the airport um, to head to Costa Rica. And so I didn't know what to expect. And I was blown away. It re really changed everything for me. Um, and not so much in the, I didn't believe that, you know, animals could communicate or, or anything like that. It just brought things up for me that I thought were long gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it was uh, group therapy uh, is what ended up happening. And I, I did not see that coming. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, Kathy, but. Um, yeah. So you get, you said it was like life, life changing. Is there anything that you can, so no, it, it brought your attention to th that, oh, that's not gone. And I do still need to work on things. Yes. But the way it happened the first week for me was um, I didn't have horse experience either. I had ridden, you know, a few times in my life, but you know, like fun kind of like a road in Bermuda and that kind of thing, no experience with the animal. And so um, in this particular um, class, we were sitting and we were blindfolded and the horses decided with Debbie, who, which of the horses wanted to come in to work with us. And then she would bring them in and they would pick their person. And so, so Debbie, you first would do what Kathy was saying, the intuitive part, like, okay, are you working today? Are you working today? Are you working today? And then the, you know, say there's 10 horses, the eight that say, yes, you would bring them in. And they're just loose and going well, up. Well, no, one at a time, right, Debbie? One at a time. Right, right. So we, well, at the beginning, we would just, pick, you know, pick out however many horses and get them ready to come in. And, and um, for, so for the horses to pick a, a human or to work for a whole week one-on-one -on -one with a person, I felt like it's really important for them to have a choice whether or not, oh, and also pick the, the right horse working with the right human, because um, if I pick the horse 
then, and the horse gives the person a hard time or is doing this or that kind of behavior, whatever, then the, then the, the, the client is, or participants, like, why did you pick this horse for me? Mm-hmm. You know, but, and that, that, well, I did that only happened once. And then after that, I, I figured out a different idea for that. So that's why, <laughs> so we have the, the, the participants sit in a circle in the arena and they're blindfolded. And by being blindfolded, they don't see the horse coming in and have their ego judgment like, oh, that horse is too big, too little, mm-hmm. ugly, skinny, whatever it happens to be. And so they just can sense the horse and connect at this energetic level. And I think one time when, um, <clears throat> Kathy, when you were there, I don't know, were you there too, Ginger, when we did a heart math study? Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so heart math is a, an organization that, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they study the electromagnetic field of the heart. And we had Dr. Ann Baldwin come, who was one of the physiologists that works with heart math. And we put a heart monitor on the human and on the horse and collected data of what happened to the, um, the electro- electric, um, the, the, the electrical data, I guess, electromagnetic data that was coming off the human and the horse at the point of picking. There was like five parameters she was measuring through the monitors. And, um, <clears throat> And so, because when the horse comes in, they'll go around and we're leading the horse going around. One time we did do it at Liberty, one horse at a time, but that took like all day. So we did this like, because horses don't tell time. So anyway, so we put him on a, a lead rope and brought him around. And then the person, well, you can explain what it felt like to be picked, you guys, but also we do a little um, go around a few times. And sometimes the horse says no. And that's when we say the horse says no, and then they 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 we get a different horse. Um, but what what's interesting, what what and Dr. Baldwin found in the data is at the point of picking, say there's these five parameters that she's measuring these five parameters. They all have big long physiological acronyms, but and so all five of these factors have to be in balance in order to be in a state of coherence. That means your inside and your outside match. So, and that's when the picking happens is when both the human and the horse are in a state of coherence. And that's what the data showed over and over. We had 20 really great pieces of data that showed that this is what happened. So if, you're, if one participant is sitting there and they're missing factor number two, isn't high enough to be in a state of coherence, a horse comes in, has a high factor two that creates a state of coherence for both beings. And that happened over and over again for whatever variable was not in balance. And so when you felt picked is when you became in complete physiological balance, creating coherence between the two of you. So what what did that feel like for you? I think for me, I could feel the energy from um, JR. And I could feel his breath while I, while you were walking and while this was happening, um, I was anxious. Probably we all were anxious because I was saying, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. I don't, I don't know horses. Um, and, and, and to be, just to reiterate, we were blindfolded. Right. Yeah. Which right. I loved personally. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I did at that point. But then when I was picked, um, you still left your blindfold on. We had chairs around the arena, right? And so Debbie would walk us to where we were um, and make sure the horse was secured and, and whatnot. You still can't see. And so I was anxious and he was, um, 
I can't really describe it because the horse energy is so strong, but I knew I had a friend. I immediately, when he picked me and we went to the railing, I thought it wasn't me anymore. It was us. Mm. And then I felt okay. And the interesting thing for me, again, not knowing horses, is when I finally did sit down, I could feel him lean down and I had my head up and he got very close to me and he was breathing in my out breath mm. and I was breathing in his out breath and I felt everything in my body go, go down, we're locked, we're loaded. He's my friend. He's, and I felt like he was going to take care of me as odd as that mm. sounds. Mm-hmm. that's what I felt. And then I, then I was okay. And then, and that whole week with him, that's what I felt. He was my friend. He he had my back. He, I don't, you probably don't remember this step because you've done so many, but um, he gave me what I needed at that time. He didn't really push me. He sort mm-hmm. of held me up. Second wow. time I came back it was a whole different story, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was unbelievable. And um and, and, it, and it changed everything for me. So I was thinking again, like at a higher level, I'm going to communicate with him. He's going to help me with my animal communication skills. Um, I'm going to learn some more about animal communication. I'm going to bond with women who um, I, I, you know, I like, I have a lot in common with it. it that's the mindset. I did not think about um, anything co- like from the past or what I was dealing with to come up. It never, it should have occurred to me, but it never mm. did. So it was... <laughs> I think that experience for people um, is the first time they're ever seen and accepted unconditionally yeah. by the horse. And that happens very rarely in our lives that we have complete acceptance and being seen without condition. It's way different than being having unconditional love. Right. Being seen unconditionally is a whole nother envelope. Mm-hmm. So you work with the same horse for, for the whole week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what are, what other types of things do you do? What other exercise, are there other exercises or whatever that you do with, with the, the horses? Kathy's just sitting here smiling, yeah, shaking her head. Were, there were, talking. <laughs> we did some cool exercises the first time um, we we did one of my favorite things that we did, and I believe it was the first the first trip that we did was. Um, I really liked I liked being blindfolded because it allowed me to go in and be intuitive and not have to think about what was going on outside of me. Um, but we did a guided meditation on horseback, blindfolded. <laughs> So, so somebody was leading us. Yeah, someone was leading us. We weren't, yeah. we weren't blindly, blindly going through the jungle. <laughs> right. Um, and that was one of, so between having someone reading, you know, a, a, a guided meditation script and you're listening to the voice and you're, but you're on horseback and you're blindfolded. So you're literally feeling one, the connection that you have with the horse, because it's kind of hard at that point. I think this was the second or the, maybe the second day. Um, kind of hard to not just be able to feel that connection. Like I'm on his back, but 
we are working as one. And then to just be able to feel every movement because you're blindfolded. So it's all you've got is, you know, you take away your sight and all your other senses just kind of come to life. That was one of the coolest experiences that I, that I've ever had really like not just talking about in Costa Rica, but that is one of the coolest experiences I've ever had was doing that meditation. And maybe it's because of, and I can't remember the meditation now, but maybe it's because of what I saw in the meditation, because you're able to, I was able to just visualize everything that she was walking us through in this guided meditation. It was really, really cool. But we also did really fun things too. We did. And I was just thinking one of the things that I thought was so funny after, kind of after it happened was, um, and I think it was the first trip. We, we were on our way to the um, volcano, right? We were on our way. Um, and we came, like you, you're kind of riding through the countryside. And so we came to a spot where I think Debbie was a, an original road, but, had, but was long abandoned. And there was like the, the soil went up on either side. So some of the horses went up or you could go straight through and we're coming through and JR wants to go up. And I'm th- I go, no, 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 no. I, I pull him back. I go, no, I'm, I'm afraid. And he goes through second time. Um, it, we were in a similar spot. He goes to go that way. And I go, no, no, no. And he gives me a little bit of that. He wants to go. And I'm like, I'm, I'm afraid. I, I, I don't want to do that. Third time we, come to a spot he goes I stopped to pull him back and he said uh, you're fine it, you know it's good I, I'll, I'll take care of it and he did and as we're going up it's, it's not that it's hugely high but it was high enough um I felt okay like all of a sudden I thought he knows what he's doing and he's going to take care of me and I'm not going to fall off he's not going to fall off and so then I enjoyed mm. that it was like oh well this is really cool and I think it was that same trip to where on the way back some people said can we run with the horse. Mm-hmm. And um, Debbie said, who, who wants to do that? And people who wanted to experience raise a hand. And I was thinking, I don't, I don't think I really want to, want to do that. I don't need to do that. I, I'm good. So everybody wanted to do it went and, um, and he was um, one that would be up on another horses behind, like he got really close to other horses. And so when it was my turn to go, like I was, I, I wasn't running. So we waited till everybody kind of caught up. He kept dropping back and dropping back. And then we were behind everybody. And then he ran, not fast, not fast enough to scan me, but more like, I felt like he was saying to me, see, it's mm. fine. You know, I got this, we, we're okay. So I got to experience it, not because I chose it, because he, he chose it, but I knew he, I was okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, for sure. Well, the, the horse knows when you're, when you're, when you're ready. And um, so in, you know, horses have this 60 million years of evolution and we have 6 million years of evolution, humans, right? And so the way they have evolved and stayed um, um, on earth and not become extinct, I guess, is to evolve in a way that creates connection because the more connected they are, this is a herd prey animal, the better chance of survival they have. And also the more diverse a group is, the better chance of survival it has. And so they don't, I, in my experience, they don't see you as long as they, once they recognize you're not gonna eat them, then they see you as an asset because you create diversity in the herd. 
And so if you're starting to feel disconnected, then they want they will initiate a way to create connection again. Because if you disconnect from the group, you're the one that's vulnerable to predators. Mm. And so they help you notice, hey, wait, where are you going? Get over here. You're disconnecting. You've disassociated. That's why they're so good too at working with people that have pretty trauma because from people that have had a lot of trauma tend to disassociate in stressful situations. And so the horse will keep you present because a disassociated individual is the one that's going to attract a predator. And so there is this beautiful things that we can learn about what it takes to evolve and survive, which is this, what Ginger, what JR was helping you do, teach you, okay, you can trust me, you can trust me, you can trust me. And now you can even trust me at this, you're ready to go to the next, to go past this next edge, which is a really beautiful story. So you don't, oh, sorry, Kathy, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. <clears throat> no, I was just going to say, so you're no longer in Costa Rica, but you're still working with horses and still doing workshops, correct? So, right. So we, um, I didn't know, we didn't know really what we were going to end up doing up here. Um, that whole, that's a whole beautiful story of someone has our back, I guess, and ended up, um, in the on this old farm in Virginia, in this and uh, and my husband, when we were still in Alabama, we kind of thought maybe we we're going to stay there, but then that didn't work out because we didn't belong in Alabama. And but in the meantime, I was having a lot of um, difficulties adjusting to not having my horses and having to leave them in Costa Rica. And it really, they have great homes; they're perfectly happy. That everything is fine, but I really was having trouble. And so my husband's like, Debbie, you have to get horses again. And I'm like, um, no, I don't want any more horses. And it would be like, if you, if you died, and then I would just get another, go to the store and buy another one of you. It's not, it's not the same, <laughs> um, but not like they, they, or whatever. So, but then he knew I really need to have horses. He started looking for horses for me. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> No, yeah. you know, that's not your job. <laughs> so we kind of pushed that. And so I ended up with it getting a couple of horses over um, I was in Alabama. And, uh, and then we, so we brought them over here. And then my friend from, um, and they were, they, I, at that time, they were really supporting me as I was writing my book. Um, some wild, amazing things happened while we, were, um, while we were here with the horses to support my book. And then my friend from Florida um, is a psychotherapist, and we've known each other since 2012. We were in the same Econoquest um, apprenticeship together. And she, because of the pandemic, and she had to find a place for her horses to go to. And um, in Florida, the hurricanes were just wreaking havoc on their life, in the, in, and it was super hard to keep the horses there. So I said, look, we have, I have so much grass. We were thinking about getting cows. Why don't you just bring them up here and we'll see what happens. So, so um, she brought her horses up here and, um, and they're all, I'm looking out the window because they're all outside eating grass right, or hay right now outside my window. But, um, and the two herds integrated together really well. There's, there's eight. And, um, and now just this week, which is super amazing, um, Giselle and I have, have created a, a retreat program for frontline healthcare workers mm. to, to work with, um, with nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists in, uh, that have been really 
um, supporting the, the efforts of the pandemic in the ICUs. And I have a lot of friends still that are nurses and kind of hearing what's going on with them. Her clients is a psycho psychotherapist that are medical um, personnel that are just super traumatized by um, what has happened during the pandemic. And so, um, and then another coincidence, my neighbor happens to know the, um, is, I think it's oh, some, uh, some um, sister-in-law of hers is the, the nurse manager for med surge at the University of Virginia Hospital in Charlottesville. So I, so I contacted her this week and um, there are, there's, a, there's um, a huge need for a retreats for these healthcare personnel. And the, what's going on, there's you know, other things happening with the University of Virginia that are just so synchronistic. And this is why we're here. Yeah. Which is why we ended yeah. up in Virginia, yeah. because we didn't like know anybody in Virginia, but it just kind of happened that way. But I feel like this week, this is why we're, we're here in, in, um, in this. So these horses are gathered here for us to um, support their capacity to work with um, the frontline healthcare workers. And so you're continuing what you were doing in Costa Rica, but here in uh, Virginia. But not yeah. no riding, no riding element. Okay, so no riding element. It's just working in, like a, a round pen or in a in a and just kind of what do you know? People in, in, are sitting right, around in, in chairs, and we're doing well. Well, there's a lot of movements. Um, you see, um, because we have, you know, they're free in the pasture. Actually, I did a session with my husband, coaching session with him. We were in the, the in the arena together, mm -hmm. working with the horses, and the horses tripped me into opening the gate, and they all and they escaped. And then it ended up being, they worked with him on the whole like 25 acres of the farm. <laughs> so, oh, that's so great. So we'll see, they were, so the, what, what is, what, what's unfolding here is, is it kind of next level really of what was that's happening. That's awesome. Really to tell you the truth. And we're and just kind of going with it. It's, it's pretty magical. It's, it it's, it's pretty magical. You know, you can do these, these equine facilitated coaching sessions really for anyone. I mean, you know, I, Ginger and I were just, you know, I think of us as we were wives who were there for a retreat, you know, and I, I went in, I went to Costa Rica the first time to get over my fear of horses. This was 2016, I think, 2017, I can't remember, one or the other. I went to get over my fear of horses because I was one of those people who had always only been on trail rides and always was gripping the horn and going, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. You know, no trust whatsoever, no partnership with the horse, just, I don't wanna fall off, I don't want you to take off running, just don't let me get hurt. Um, I own a horse now. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a direct result of not just getting over my fear of horses, because I still have a little fear from time to time when my guy decides that, you know, he's gonna get feisty with me or whatever. But um, it was really the seeing the magic that happens when they bring your stuff up. I mean, Cosmo, Cosmo picked me that, that first week that we were there. Um, Debbie, I was just telling you about this earlier. They give you signs, you know, we can't see the signs. Obviously we're blindfolded. So when the horse picks us, we don't necessarily know. We can feel their presence in front of us. And like you said, Ginger, you could feel him breathing. Um, I, I 
heard and sensed um, Cosmo was peeing at my feet. And that's how he picked me. Um, and there's a reason he did that. There's meaning, there's meaning behind all of it. And um, so, you know, when we're at these retreats, we're doing these horse-centered things, but then we're also um, doing, I wouldn't call it group therapy, but we're doing group activities and stuff that definitely brings up, brings up our stuff. Um, and it's, it's, there's also, there was also something magical, although you are so rural in Virginia that you can get the same thing of, you know, you, we were out in Costa Rica. There's, there's no TV, there's no news. There's no, mm -hmm. there's nothing. Um, the food was spectacular. Um, but there was just a lot of cathartic work being done. And I look at it as we went and we really didn't, we had stuff we didn't know about, but you've also worked with a lot of um, people in groups who have trauma that you know about that you're there helping them mm -hmm. process. Um, yeah. But like the frontline yeah. workers. Right, right. Well, that, that, right. When I did volunteer um, for a group, uh, a group home for, for girls that were taken off the street in Costa Rica that were child um, 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 trafficked children. And, uh, and so they came and worked with the horses and these same horses that would work with adults in a certain way. And these horses, let me tell you, they can go and round up cattle or they can work with a, an eight-year-old that's been um, being sold on the street for a cell phone. I mean, it is just the span of capacity of what the horse can do is absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, I had someone here um, someone here already who had a, a, a relative that was murdered and and they the horses and I just had the person go walk into the pasture and the horses were on the other side of the hill and when they walked in the pasture the horse just ran one of the horses ran as fast as he could to come up to that person knowing that person needed some some support mm -hmm. just it was it was really 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 cool um but anyway what, what was I talking about so <clears throat> so yeah these whatever the the person needs the individual needs is what the horse can bring to us and like i said it goes to creating this state of coherence by bringing up what in us what is in us that is incoherent at the time and <clears throat> one um one story can i tell you one thing that's coming up one yes. okay so i had this family come for a, a retreat and it was a, a mom and a dad and then two grown men that were the sons. And we were down in the big arena outside the outdoor arena by the yoga deck. So there's a big, big like professional size arena. And this one guy was a, a pilot for in Afghanistan. And he didn't want to be there at all. It was like in his late twenties or early thirties. He didn't want to be there at all. And he made it very clear to everyone that he was just there because it was his, his um, dad's birthday. Anyway, and that's what his dad wanted him to do is to do this um, retreat with me. So that's always a challenge, right? And, uh, and so the intention, so horses understand intention. 
very clearly. And so the intention for this family was to connect everyone together because they felt kind of disconnected. So anyway, so I did a, an exercise with him and it's called um, embodying the goal. So this is talking about one of the a more structured exercise. So what we do is um, I set up a goal for them to do with the horse. And so in this case, I wanted him to have the horse walk around the arena, use a, a, a whip, a, not to smack the horse with or anything, but to push energy behind the horse. And the horse had to like walk around the arena one time in one direction, change directions, go the other way, and then trot and then canter and go over this jump. Okay, he had this whole thing. He's an um, Air Force pilot. He could handle it, right? So, but it was a pretty complicated five or six step exercise that he was to do. And so then we do a body scan, which is going and asking your body for advice about how to accomplish this goal. Did you guys do something like this? Yes. I remember, okay. And, um, <clears throat> and then you ask the horse for advice about how to accomplish the goal. So basically what it is, just a second, there's an Air Force jet. Speaking of Air Force. Speaking oh my of God. Air Force. <laughs> oh, my God. Air Force. oh, that's like really crazy. I guess I should be talking to Wow. So, um, so he was standing there the whole time like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Woo, 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 woo. I'm trying to, you know, facilitate him. And, and, um, and, he, and I'm like, well, what advice do you have for for the, the thing, I don't remember what he said. And um, and then I said, so now ask the horse. And then the horse is sending you back a message like an email or a text message about her advice. It was beauty was his, his horse about her advice of how to accomplish this goal together. And of course he had no horse experience or anything. And, um, and I said, so, and I'm like, so did you get anything? And he's like, just do it. What does that mean? Just do it. I'll do it or something or just do it and I'm like I don't know well that's what the message is so so I stand him out he goes and stands in the center of the arena and oh she said um just visualize it and I'll do it that's what she said and he actually heard that which is it took a while to get to this point anyway (laughs) so he's standing in the middle of the arena and he just stood there not doing anything and he barely he visualized it because she did the whole entire thing without him moving a muscle she walked both directions, tried in both directions, went over the jump, and then he she comes up to him and looks him right, like right straight in the face, and and just like all right now what? And so he came comes over to where we were standing, and she follows him over, and I said okay well so we debrief after every exercise, and I said so what 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 happened out there? And he said I visualized it, and she did it. What the f? <laughs> <laughs> And then I said, and then, then Beauty was like talking to me. And she's like, I want to do it again. And so I did another one more complicated. And I said, let's do it again. I made another exercise and body the goal. What is your advice from your body? Listen to her. <laughs> what is her advice? Same thing. Visualize it and I'll do it. So they went back out into the arena. And Beauty does the whole entire thing again without him moving a muscle. Just him visualizing it. And he did it. Or, awesome. And she did it. And he comes back again, and I, and then he again, he was like totally floored. The family was like freaking out, and I said, um, and then his mother, just how I re, as I remember, but anyway, his mother said something like, he doesn't think animals have a soul, mm. and he doesn't believe animals have. They're just a, 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 a something like a, a machine, huh. and 
And I said, oh, he goes, yeah, that's right. Animals, they're nothing. They're just like a machine. So why would she be doing this? I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense to me because how can she know what I'm thinking? And then she's standing there with him the whole time, just, you know, staring at him, not on a lead rope or anything, of course. And he said, but how can, so it ended up being for this guy, what he needed to understand was one, animals are sentient beings. And he said, how, because people care more about animals than they care about human beings. There's all of these wildlife rescue centers. There's the Humane Society. There's um, save the animal this and save the animal that. He said, what about save the people? Mm. People are dropping bombs on other people, irregardless of what they're throwing the bomb on. Schools are getting blown up. This is Afghanistan, Afghanistan remember? Mm-hmm. And he said, how can I, I can't deal with what's happening to humans. How can I expand that into what we're doing to animals and the in the world and it was all his own self-preservation that he had to close and only stay within his scope of what we're doing to humanity for him to to be able to stay functional so that speaks really well to kind of what um we were saying so okay yeah you can work with a group that you kind of know what -hmm. is going on with them yeah but then you can also, the horses can also work with somebody who doesn't want to be there or doesn't think they have mm-hmm. um, an issue. Like what you guys are talking about, Kathy and Ginger both went as just, what did Kathy said, like two, two housewives going to like, get yeah, no, afraid of horses and mm-hmm. not really thinking I'm going down to Costa Rica to work with these animals because of A, B, and C, mm-hmm. like meaning you know, emotional things or issues or whatever. And, and you, you weren't going at it that way. You were going at it at a, at a way more 3D thing. I'm just going down to ride a horse or not be afraid of a horse or whatever. And then it turns into um, other yeah, stuff. Turns- in other words, my point is you, well, you didn't turns- go down there to fix an issue. Right. It, it, but so- Most people, most people did, did not come. I would say if I think about the hundreds of people that I've had there, 98% of them didn't come there with an intention of um, leaving their husband. And then they went right. back and <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Right, Well, right. I'll tell you, I, I think we might've talked about this, but this, the second week that we went, one of the first days we were just sitting in the, um, in the stands and uh, you and Sally had, I don't remember who, what, what horse was and Sally was sort of playing around with the horse and the horse was getting really, you know, kind of agitated. And well, she, Sally said it wasn't agitated. That, that was my perception of it. And then there was another horse that was nudging you. And you said, I think he wants to step in. And so Sally said, no, I think I'm okay with this horse. And this horse kept like being a nudge. So she said, fine. So she, you know, took care of the other horse, moved that horse out. And then she starts doing the same exercise, which was like kind of whipping up a frenzy to me. Mm. And I had nothing to do with anything. It wasn't the horse I would, because I had JR the second time as well, had nothing to do with anything. It was playing around. But the more she did it, the more anxious I got until I was in tears. And it was on something totally different, nothing that I, that I was even thinking of, but it brought up this, unbel- I, I just could not control myself. And that was a horse that I hadn't ever worked with, wasn't going to be working with that week. I don't know what that whole thing brought up, but he did. 
and you recognized it and swapped the horses. And then that came up for me. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I mean, I know you don't mm-hmm. know what's, what's going to come up, but that animal knows what needs to come mm-hmm. up. So for your own, for your own well being. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, one time um, my, one of my main guide Enrique um, is Costa Rica and really super macho Costa Rican guy. He was our naturalist guy. You guys know him. Yeah. And, um, and one, one time we were, he and I were doing a workshop. So he did a lot of this work and he helped me with the girls from the safe house and went through his own amazing transformational process um, with, with horses. Because horses are a big part of the culture there. Well, anyway, we were doing a workshop one week, um, he and I with this, um, um, this family. And, uh, and they were at this point of something needed to give because of what was going on with the teenage to teenager in there that they were not recognizing. It was a pretty significant, like um, it was about drug overdose or suicide kind of thing. It was a pretty big deal. And so the family was blind to really what was happening. And so um, we, we knew we were gonna devise this activity with this horse named Flicka, who was really super hard to work with, Flicka. I don't know if you guys remember who she was. Yeah. And, um, and she, and so, and then the whole family would work together doing an exercise with her and, it, and everyone always fails with her, okay? You can't do it, it's impossible with this. Ex- and so we devised it, we came up, we said, we're gonna have to do this exercise and we, we, we tweaked it a little bit. And we were, it was at um, night, we were putting all the horses back or whatever, walking down the road. And, and I said, we always demo at first if we're doing something new. And so I said, well, I'll demo. And he goes, no, I'll do the demo. And I said, no, you did the demo today. And so we both looked at each other and we were like, oh my God, when did it become fun to be vulnerable in front of clients? <laughs> <laughs> because we wouldn't be able to do it with her. And so, and then, and then the next day, and then we would have to, and so that was this huge epiphany for him and I as well, like being vulnerable is so important to create this really authentic connection with our clients and, and with the horses and letting the horse do what they do. And sure enough, they did it the next day, they failed, they had to sit in the uncomfortable place overnight on what was coming up. And then the next day we had them do the same exercise, but with a horse that was you were able to succeed with tango because the two of them worked together in this amazing way. And then they, they, it all came together, but sitting in that uncomfortable, being vulnerable to allow um, for, you know, it's this great breaking open to allow for what is, is the next place. Well, I know first week that I had JR and I said how great he was sort of having my back. And then the second time, I came back and he was not so nice, not to me, but he was really hard to handle. And he was a dream the first week. And I remember pulling back from, you know, everybody else, staying separate from everybody else. Um, And here I am an animal communicator. And I think you said to me, you know, more than once, what's he trying to tell you? And I did not know. I did not know for days. And I was disappointed in myself and I couldn't figure it out. And then, um, I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think he would be behind me and he was acting up. He would be up the other horses behinds and he was nippy. And um, I had to, right. yeah, yeah. 
And how he, and, how he normally is. Yeah. Yeah. And you were yelling, you know, I mean, you're going to, you need to control him. You know, and, I'm, and I was having a hard time and you were saying being strong, you know, be strict with them, whatever. I, I, I couldn't get there and, you know, on and on. And all of a sudden I realized what he was showing me was that I kept saying, I had a situation going on in my life that I kept saying was like kind of out of control. And, you know, I, I was blindsided and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And what he was basically saying is, no, you weren't, you, you could see things earlier. You need to control it earlier. Cause if you don't control it earlier, then somebody gets hurt. Something happens, something big, but you could have, you didn't use your power. You didn't use just, and all of, and that was like the day before we left, but it took me all those days to mm-hmm. get, and then he was fine. He stopped being a, a pill um, to everybody. And I could kind of ride with, with everybody else again, but it took, it took, you know, he was tough for me. Um, so they just know where you are and where to meet you. And he was tough because that's what you needed. Right. Yeah, I did. And he might did. Yeah. To get your, to get the message across. I was thinking, Jay, you was you were like my best friend last time. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you being mean. <laughs> next, next lesson. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Awesome. Um, I just, uh, like I said, had, didn't have experience with horses prior to Costa Rica. Um, never realized the strength, um, intuitive strength, it's intuitive ability um, that a horse has to connect with us and for us to connect with them. And for me, it changed, it changed the whole direction. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing equine facilitated. Uh, I don't have a horse, but my appreciation is really off the charts for you know, the lessons that I learned there and, and the understanding. Um, and and Debbie and Kathy, are, aren't you guys working together in the future with a workshop or, or thinking about doing something like that? We are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're getting, our place here is getting in shape to start um, having um, guests this spring. And, um, and so my, I wanted to create a workshop around my book, Ponies, Girls, Parables, um, to kind of start this gathering of pondering again as people and, and take a look at where we are intuitively and, and how um, we can perceive our place in the world, I guess, now mm-hmm. after everything that's happened after the last few years. And, and, uh, and I talked to Kathy about uh, collaborating with me because in Ponies Girls Parables, the girl, she has a, a third third dimensional earthly problem and then learns to travel through a fourth dimensional space into a fifth dimensional space to find connect to her higher self and um, and then bring back that wisdom into um, the this third dimensional conundrum that she's in. And Kathy, with her great capacity to teach um, how to connect to our intuitive self was the perfect um, partner for this workshop. The first one's in April and we'll use the book as a, as a framework and to learn and kind of exercise that intuitive muscle and how we can connect to our, our higher self to align, to be in alignment with what we're being asked to do. That's as awesome. a, as a I may actually show up to that. <laughs> you may actually see me there. Virginia is an easy place for me to get to. Yeah. Oh. And for those of you that don't remember way, way, way at the beginning of uh, the Psychic Wives podcast, we did a, um, a podcast with Kathy and our friend Janine, 
who were, oh, don't you hate when your watch starts, Siri starts talking to you? Sorry. Um, with Kathy and Janine, who um, were studying, uh, you know, working with the horses and everything. So that'd be something pretty cool. So uh, we'll have all that contact information for you and everything on there. And of course, Kathy, will talk about that going forward. Absolutely. You know, like, yeah, we're looking forward to some nice spring weather. It'll be a beautiful time in Virginia. And it's, it's a three day retreat. Three days. Yeah. Days, yeah. Three days. So a little, a little shorter than the Costa Rica thing, but you don't have to fly to Costa Rica. Yeah. So right. You don't have to justify all that travel, you know, um, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I think that, I think that aligning it with, um, like you said, using the framework of the book is just going to be a fantastic experiential um, way to, to just connect with other people and delve into connecting with your higher self. So. Yeah. And if you, if anybody's hearing that and did not listen to part one of our podcast with Debbie, this go back one and listen to the podcast about the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Debbie. This has been great. And I hope we can have you back, especially when you write your next book, (laughs) when your next book is out. Um, Because as Kathy and I have said like 15 times, probably on this podcast, it really was life-changing for us. And I just wanted everybody to, to sort of get a taste or understand how powerful um, that work is. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody listening, thank you so much, um, for listening to this episode. And if you are listening to this episode, you probably found us on Apple or Spotify, um, check our Facebook page at the Facebook, at the Facebook, at the psychic wives. Um, Mm -hmm. we are looking to do some more, um, live events. So you'll see those coming up. And of course, our website, thepsychicwives.com. You'll find Debbie's information from the last. And you can also podcast. listen to the podcast on our yeah. website. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So thank you. And we will see you the next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Psychic Wives podcast with Ginger Hendry, Jerry Carabin, and Kathy Rumsey, where we discuss everyday living with a twist. To learn more about us, please visit our website at www.thepsychicwives.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Psychic Wives. If you would like to support us, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and feel free to share our episodes with anyone you feel would benefit from listening. Sending you all peace, love, and light.